Okay, it's time to read the Bible together. Uh, If you can continue your conversations after the service, that would be great. So the first reading tonight comes from Isaiah 65. Uh, We're reading from verse 17 through to 25. It's on page 685. So verse 17. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the youth will die at a hundred years, and the one who misses a hundred years will be cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree, My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labour without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. Uh, Well, good evening, everyone. My name is LT. I'm one of the pastors here at Church by the Bridge. I think we need to ask for God's help as we come to his word. Father, we do ask that by your spirit, you'll help us to comprehend your word and respond in a way that pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, As a young boy growing up, I was described, particularly by my parents, as painfully shy. I think I heard that phrase quite often, actually. I was painfully shy. And that was expressed in this one moment that would happen in, in, our, in our home. And that moment was when someone came and knocked on our front door. My response to that, being someone who's painfully shy, was to turn and run to my bedroom and shut the door and hide. My sister's response, who's the exact opposite to me, was to run and turn towards the door and find out who was there. I think she sensed even before they knocked there was someone there. She was just would break her neck to get to the door to meet and to see whoever was there. Two extreme responses, turn away from and hide or turn towards and seek and find. And I suspect they're the kind of two responses that we've been hearing about people can have to God from the book of Isaiah. We've been going through this book week after week after week. And there's only two responses that you can have to God. And I wonder which response best represents you tonight. Someone who's 
turned away running and hiding or turned towards seeking and finding in deep relationship with God through his son. You know, Isaiah, as you've been learning about him and his message, it's pretty clear that he is everything you picture in an Old Testament prophet. And his message is everything that you would predict to come from an Old Testament prophet. In a good way. And in, in some senses, every week you've been hearing the same message. A prophet is someone who's been sent by God to speak on God's behalf. And certainly that's what Isaiah does. Uh, what you predict is what that uh, prophet does, and this is what Isaiah does, is the message he speaks from God is a message to a people who are rebellious, who've turned away from God, expressed in all sorts of ways. And the prophet comes from God to warn those people and to plead with them, to call them to turn back to God. And so week after week after week, that's the message we've been hearing from Isaiah. And as we come to this final week in this magnificent book, the message of God to us, I'd have to say the message is the same. The prophet Isaiah warning us, calling us back to God. So I'm not sure which way breath represents you, what your response is. And you might have a sense that it's not as extreme as of I, in terms of either of those responses. But I hope you've heard God speak to you. And maybe you not have been running as extremely away from God and hiding, shutting the door. But maybe there's been an area of your life that by God's spirit he's exposed that you have had the door shut to God. And I'm hoping that by the power of the spirit he's helped you, enabled you, not only to see that in your own life, but to repent of that. And that now you've had the opportunity to be walking in obedience and walking in a way that pleases God. And so tonight, we're going to continue that message from God to us of God calling us to himself so that we might respond in a wholehearted way to him because of what he's done for us in Jesus. Trust the God who. It's trust the God who gives hope. That's how we're finishing tonight. So let's jump into this last part of Isaiah. We're just going to dip into some of the chapters to get a sense of how we're to finish. And really what we're getting here is Isaiah praying, pleading on, the, on behalf of God's people. He prays and of course then God gives an answer. So we're going to see what Isaiah's prayer is and then we're going to hear what God's answer is to that prayer. So let's jump in firstly to Isaiah's prayer, which is simply, God, will you come? We have to go back a couple of chapters to chapter 63, verse 15. Just going to read a couple of verses that represent a summary of Isaiah's prayer, 63, verse 15. 
Look down from heaven and see, from your lofty home, holy, holy and beautiful. Where is your zeal and your might? Your yearning and your compassion are withheld from me. So you can hear Isaiah crying out to God himself. And then to chapter 64, verse 1. If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. You can hear Isaiah crying out to God. We're in this period uh, where he was, and similar to us, of some promises from God. And we're waiting for God to bring about the answer or completion of those promises. So Isaiah stands on behalf of his people and says, God, come down now. The old translation of that version, the King James, is rend the heavens. And it's become a famous prayer through church history where people cry out, God, tear heaven open and intervene in history in a way that you've done before. Do it again now. And often he has. But here Isaiah is making the same call upon God. Tear heaven open. Step into history and do something as only you can. Return. Rule. Rightly rule over everything that you and you alone have the right to rule over. Restore the covenant relationship with your people. Yes, we may be faithless as we've heard week after week after week. But God, because you're faithful, will you come and fulfill your promises. This is the plea of Isaiah. His, his prayer. God would you come. But as I said we see God's answer. And as we've seen each week. The message of Isaiah has had two parts. Week after week. Judgment. Salvation. Judgment through salvation. And so here again we hear God's answer, and of course it has two parts. It's the message of Isaiah. Judgment and creation. God will come to judge, but God will come to create and save, of course. So let's have a look at the first part. God will come to judge. Let's go back to chapter 65, verse 1. I was sought by those who did not ask. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, and here I am. To a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people. Who walk in the wrong path following their own thoughts. Here we have again Isaiah rehearsing the reality of a rebellious people. Who've turned away from God. God's people are obstinate. They're stubborn. They spurn the relationship with God. They pursue, we're told, their own imaginations. Their own thoughts. And that's always at the heart of our rejection and rebellion against God. Not only do we make up things about God in our imaginations, our thoughts, we love those thoughts. We base our life on those thoughts and they're reflected in our behaviour. And that's what Isaiah is saying about God's people there. We say, I believe a God who... Or I like to think of God as. And even if we don't verbalize that in our heads, our lives show that we're living by something that doesn't represent who God truly is. And as Isaiah has done before, he lists the behaviors 
that are evidence of the disobedience of God's people. Verse 3, the do-it-yourself approach to worship. Verse 4, pagan practices. Verse 5, religious elitism. Verse 7, idolatry. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, they're all quite extreme things. I don't think I'm sort of guilty of doing those bad things. My daughters have been away this weekend and two of them are going to be away for a couple more days. But it would be a poor assessment of my relationship with my daughters if I based it just on these last 24 hours by saying, well, I haven't done anything bad to them. That would be reducing down my relationship with them, wouldn't it? Because I certainly haven't done, done anything good for them either. Haven't even been in their presence. It's the relationship with each other, and certainly in terms of God, is so much more than that, isn't it? But I suspect that's what we do when it comes to our relationship with God. We, we come up with our circle or set of bad things that we even define ourselves. And that's how we define our relationship with God, by how well we're doing in avoiding those, doing those bad things. But relationship with God is so much more than that. It begins with how we think about who God is as he's revealed himself to us, not how we make up who he is in our own thoughts and imaginations. And so that's what God's people and the nations have done. But as I said, the answer is that God will come to judge There's consequences of that, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 65. But you who abandon me, or abandon the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for fortune and fill bowls of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will kneel down to be slaughtered, because I called and you did not answer. I spoke and you did not hear. You did what was evil in my sight and chose what I did not delight in. Verse 13, therefore, therefore, this is what the Lord God says. And then he spells out the consequences of rejecting God. The rejection of God inevitably inevitably brings a response from God. Our rejection results in God's rejection of us. Now, I'm not sure how you respond to God's judgment. It's very graphic and vivid there, isn't it? It's, It's so real, it's like you could nearly... Touch it, touch it and taste it. It may even be offensive to you. You might have the questions that many people have about God's judgment. How can a loving God send people to hell? Or does he even send sincere nice people to hell? But notice here, God only rejects those who reject him. And you can reject him sincerely as much as you can do that outrightly. With a snub nose or a shaken fist. Either way, it's rejecting God. 
and the reality and truth of God's judgment is very confronting but only confirmed by the Lord Jesus. And we're told that in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Acts 17, 30 says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man, that is Jesus, he has appointed. He's provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The proof and guarantee that judgment will come is that Jesus has risen and there's no denying that. As I said, it's very vivid, confronting and truth. But we are waiting, aren't we? And the thing about the waiting is it's God holding back from his judgment. And it's an incredible act of his mercy. A a incredible sign of his patience with us. God will come and he will come to judge. And as much as I've tried to avoid partly this message, but partly really how Isaiah finishes... There's no avoiding it. I mean, we all want the story to end nicely, but Isaiah is a prophet who speaks on behalf of God, the truth of God. And so Isaiah finishes with a verse that is very vivid and graphic. It's a picture of God's unending judgment. There's just no avoiding that. A picture of God's unending judgment. He wants us to, to be reminded and finished with that message as a warning to us. But as I said, the message and God's answer has two parts. God will come to judge, but God will come to create. Let's look at the second half of chapter 65. And the second, and verse 17. 65 verse 17. For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. Jerusalem, the way of God speaking about his new city. And notice it's something that he will create. I will create, verse 17. I will create, verse 18. Just as he spoke a word and brought about all of creation, just as he acted and sent his son to bring about salvation that we contribute nothing to, so here he's bringing about a a recreation. I will create, he says. Create something new. There'll be things the same, but it will be a completely new expression of the reality we know. A completely new expression of the reality we know. That is good news. A new environment, a new community, no death, no destruction. Past events will not be remembered or come to mind. I'm taking that to be all the events that represent the consequences of the entrance of evil and sin in our world. I heard someone talk about this passage 
by saying that five seconds into this new world, this new creation, we'll say to each other, cancer. What was that? War. What was that? Sadness. What was that? Grief. What was that? But that's not right, is it? Five seconds into this new creation, this new world, we won't remember cancer. We won't remember sadness. We won't remember grief. We won't remember pain. Not remembered because he's creating all things to be new and the presence of evil and sin and all its consequences will be gone because judgment has come, stripped away, and this new creation with the fullness of joy and all that the world's meant to be will be the way it's meant to be because God has judged and rid everything of evil and sin. That is good news. It's breathtaking that God will do that for us as we trust in him, the God who gives hope. What are you experiencing now? And all of us are experiencing something acutely because of the effects of sin and evil in the world. And its consequences. Don't you long for a day where that'll be gone? Of course you do. That longing is only met as you meet God in his son, the Lord Jesus, who's made it possible. I've got a friend, Albert Louis, and to help his friends know Jesus and the good news of Jesus, he he organises these really big dinners of a hundred or so people. And he invites a, a mutual friend of ours, David Cook, to come and speak about Jesus to his friends. And I've been along to a couple of Albert's dinners. And a while ago, Albert nearly died of a big heart attack. And so uh, when he was able to, he took it upon himself to have, make it. It was just another excuse for him to have another dinner, invite his friends to hear about Jesus. And so, of course, David came along and got rolled out to give the message about the good news of Jesus. To celebrate the fact that, uh, well, in, in, in the midst of his talk, he, one of the things he was saying was, it's great news that God rescued Albert and saved him so he's still alive. But he followed that up by saying, but if he died, he'd be better off. And so someone quickly called out from the dinner, no, he wouldn't have been. And as quick as a flash, David called out back, yes, he would have. How can you have such firm confidence that if someone dies, they'd be better off? How can you have that confidence? Because the promises of Isaiah we have from God. That trusting in God through his son, the Lord Jesus, and his death and resurrection for us, we can be caught up in the new world, the new creation, and can be guaranteed. The pictures we have, look at verses 22 of the second half there. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For there will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. 
While they're still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. There is some things there that seem a bit odd, don't they? A childbirth, people possibly living longer as if they're going to die. And so I suspect what's happening there is the language of now is being used to help us understand then, the picture of then. There will be fruitfulness, guaranteed security, life eternal, relationship with God and peace forever. So how big is your hope? Is it bigger than anything in this life? We're all hoping for things in this life, aren't we? But they're all small hopes. This is meant to lift our eyes to a big hope, an eternal hope. That's guaranteed and secure, not like the small hopes we have now. There's a story of Albert Einstein. He was on a train travelling from Princeton. And the conductor was coming along and came into his, where he was seated to punch his ticket. And so as the conductor was coming, Albert Einstein was searching around uh, for his t- ticket. He looked in his top pocket and his trouser pants and then he looked in uh, his briefcase and then down the, the cracks of the seat and he couldn't find his ticket. And the conductor said, look, it doesn't matter. We know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't, don't worry about it. And so then walked off and left and checked the other passengers. As the conductor was about to leave the carriage, he looked back and saw Albert Einstein scrambling around the floor. And the conductor raced back to him and said, it doesn't matter, we know who you are. We're sure you bought a ticket. And Albert Einstein looked up from the floor and said, yes, I know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. And you know, the good news that we have in the Bible and we've been reminded of from Isaiah is that through Jesus and what he's done for us we not only can know who we are but we can be guaranteed where we're going tell me a better guarantee than that where we're going forever I mean we're not even guaranteed that we'll wake up tomorrow But we guarantee we can have life with God forever. He will be with us and we'll be with him. That's breathtaking. Judgment did come, didn't it? God humiliated himself in coming in the person of Jesus. Even more humiliating than that, Jesus died the death that we deserved where God's judgment fell upon him. A new creation came about as Jesus rose from the dead, guaranteeing one day we can be part of that new creation. He began to ushering it in, showing he had power over all the effects of sin in this world, saying to us, one day you be part of my family. You can be part of the creation a new world where all of that will be gone 
Let's finish by reading and looking at Revelation 21. Let me just read a few verses to finish. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father. For you are a good, loving and merciful God. Help us, as we've heard each week, to hear this warning from you. There is a judgment to come. And the only safe place is to be where that judgment has fallen, and that is with your son, Jesus. Thank you that if we trust in you, turning from our sin and repenting, seeking to be obedient to you, we can be part of the new creation that you're creating. 